Welcome to another edition of the Comics Pals Book Club. This is a monthly thing that we do where we pals get together. We choose a book. uh, We let you guys know ahead of time what book it is. And we uh, sit down to dissect it. And this time, in honor of the Dark Phoenix film being released by Fox, presumably the last X-Men film uh, that we will see coming out of the uh, Fox um, film house, as it were, we decided to read the classic Dark Phoenix saga. Wait, really? Uh-oh. Yes. Uh-oh. I read... I I didn't read anything. I watched X3 The Last Stand. Wait a second. I watched X-Men The Animated <laughs> Series version of the Dark Phoenix Saga. Marco? <laughs> Wait a minute. I saw the X-Men Evolution version of Dark Phoenix. Joke's on you. I appreciate They you. didn't get there. Damn. Yep. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> gotcha, sucker. It was nice either try. that or expecting, waiting the newest version of Dark uh, Phoenix. I didn't read anything. I, think, I was uh, just excited to wait. I, I think, uh, I do think that uh, Wolverine and the X-Men did. did get there. They did. Yeah. Oh, I have to check that out. I've not seen that. I think they, I, I think they change it pretty drastically from, from what I was reading. Okay. Uh, well, for those of you who are unfamiliar for whatever reason, uh, this classic story was written by Chris Claremont and John Byrne. John Byrne is credited as a co-plotter, which is mm. pretty common for that time period. And John mm-hmm. Byrne is a super talent who we know to have written several classic stories. Actually, we read Hellboy, uh, Seeds of Destruction, and John oh, Byrne yeah. wrote that. That's right. So, um. But he also was the artist on this book. He was the penciler. Uh, we have Terry Austin on inks. Uh, letters were by Tom Orzachowski. And colors were by Glynis Ween. So that's your creative team throughout the entire book, which is pretty cool. Uh, <clears throat> and this is a story. This is probably the, the most well-remembered, well-received, and most popular X-Men story of all time. Would you guys not agree? This, this, yeah, this, this changed comics in a lot of ways. This, I mean, at the time that this was published, the X-Men were the most popular comic book by, by a landslide. And this story is every, we joked about it at the outset of the episode. This, this book has been adapted in several cartoons, two movies now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, uh, the new X Men and the new or or X Men whatever the this title is and uh, the new Teen Titans were around at the same time and they were both like the most popular books on the stands. So this was actually released uh, between January and October of 1980. So uh, you know, quite a while ago, oh, wow. and it features uh, or takes place within the issues. 129 and 138 of X-Men. Portions of the story, like the Phoenix Saga angle of it, actually take place quite a bit earlier, but the Dark Phoenix Saga is considered to be these issues that we're talking about. Um, Although her transformation is kind of teased earlier on. So, first question that I have for you guys is, other than 
outside media portraying this story, what's your familiarity with it? Have you read it? Um, you know, where are you coming into this from? So I've mentioned in the past that I really enjoy the X-Men, particularly um, when I was first getting into comics, like I was getting into that, what I felt like an intermediary grasp of the universes and an understanding as to like who the Titans of DC and Marvel were. And there was just like a portion of comics that I felt um had I'd always seen in elsewhere. Like I had seen the X-Men movie, I had seen the X-Men cartoons, I had seen X-Men Evolution, all that stuff, right? So all that sort of already when I was approaching Marvel already kind of uh gave me a direction to go down. And then I decided to read the entirety of the the series. I think I made it up to like from number uh, from a giant X-Men uh, number one all the way through like I think I made it to like 300 and something over the course of maybe eight months um, and this had always stuck out to me as a moment in time where I appreciated what like a run was and what a, a like it was my first experience of like that full length comic book right because Swamp Thing had introduced me to the in, like a story arc an overarching long form story arc where this was in a excuse me where this was a long form run as well as continuous set of storylines so um this also just stuck out as like a teaching moment for me which is why it's one of my favorite stories um my favorite is the, the stuff that sort of follows it and the aftermath of this because i kind of like that chaos but this was that for me point where i i was like oh okay i i understand comics the appeal like this is my understanding of it interesting so this kind of gave you an understanding of why people love more mainstream books yeah cool i like that uh what about you kale uh so i probably i think the first time i picked this up was probably in high school um I think, I think it might have been part of the the Masterworks collection. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. About that, that, that was yeah, the first was. time I read that as well. Okay. Okay. What is um, this? It was like a black and white printing of major landmark stories from you know the middle twentieth century, uh, sold on the cheap. Okay. Um. I think I think most of my exposure to this though comes from the other media. I th- I think I've read this. I think I've actually read it maybe th- three times. This being the fourth, uh, but it's never it, reading it has never stuck with me the way uh, like X Men the animated series did. Okay, how about you, Phil? Before I answer your question, let me hit you one uh, myself here, Sean. Was this really hard for you to read in light of what happens? Uh, what do you mean? Well, this is this is the downfall of Jean Grey, and she is your wife. I have a lot of wives. Really, she is my <laughs> wife. <laughs> I, I have a lot of really complex feelings about this book. Um, it's, uh, obviously Jean Grey is my favorite character, uh, ever. And 
unfortunately, this is, you know, this is kind of her big, her big story is the one where she dies. And then, of course, you know, she doesn't really, really come back for a long time. Uh, she's in the comics now. She's back now. Yes. But Marvel teased and played with my emotions for all of the 2000s and then a majority of the 2010s. They love doing that. And um, I'm happy that she's finally back in a way. But this story, obviously, uh, it's very emotional. Highly emotional. And they really dicked around with the ways they would tease her back. The whole Ma- uh, Madeline Pryor bullshit or whatever <laughs> uh clone gene yeah. gray and then they have all the shit with like cable and x-man <laughs> and all this bullshit well when hope first became a character one of the popular theories among fans was that hope was gene resurrected or like when they uh, introduced rachel summers as a way of not having gene gray yep all that shit um yeah, I've never heard of this book before. X-Men? Uh, huh. Yeah, first time? Yeah, first time. <laughs> first. Wow, excited to hear what you long think. Long time uh, listener, first time caller. Uh, <laughs> this is my fourth time reading this book. I uh, read it for the first time in the seventh grade. I read oh, it- sorry, uh, listener, can you uh, sorry, can you repeat that? Did you say this was your fourth? Did you just lie on air? You do realize that we are live and there are people, thousands, if... <laughs> maybe over the course of a couple of years, uh, are listening right now. Well, yeah. Uh, uh, well, uh, 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 listeners will come to know me as... What's going on? Listener, listener, are you okay? Uh, your listeners will know me as a prankster. I'm sorry? I'm a funny man. Let's, let's, let's play this a little more straight. The... <laughs> <laughs> this is not going anywhere. So Marco just drops it. <laughs> Uh, this is my fourth time reading it. I read it in the seventh grade. I read it in college. I read it two years ago, and now I read it again now. Um, I read the entirety of uh, Bernard Claremont's X-Men run uh, at least in the 70s and the 80s, uh, 10 years ago. The entire entirety of those two decades. So 75 till 1990. Um, and this is, this is definitely a high point because it really feels like a soap opera. Uh, constantly it's like will the X-Men escape the Hellfire Club wait till the next exciting issue of the Uncanny X-Men uh, well and, and and the whole time I was reading it all I could hear were the bad uh, the bad character actors in the animated series <laughs> Gene oh Scott Gene sorry, da- sorry darling um Oh, you're gonna have to go way higher than oh, that. Oh, sorry, darling. I'm the I'm the <laughs> best at what I do. Um, yeah, this is this is this is a great book. Um, this is definitely one of the high marks of of um this run on the X Men. And one thing I particularly love, um, the the Jean Grey saga, and by extension the Dark Phoenix saga, um, introduced the Shi'ar Empire, and I dig that shit so much. Um, mm. and seeing them all kind of showcased here, especially with stuff we've seen later, whether it's the Annihilation Wave, all that stuff that Abbott and uh, Landing did, or what we did in our last book club with the Hickman Avengers run, um, uh, with Infinity, like, these characters are awesome. So, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about it. Mm-hmm. How about you? Cool. So, so 
that actually leads me to my big announcement, my big shocking reveal that I have never said before, uh, and I'm ready to say now. I teased it on the show a couple times at this point. Um, I'm here to say, wait, wait, the first Sean, time I, ever. I, I think I lost what? your audio. What, guys? Hello. Yeah, I can. Hello? I can hear him. Yeah, Sean's good. Is something wrong on your end, Marco? Oh, uh, yeah, my headphones got kind of unplugged. Sorry. Sean's about to give this massive goddamn reveal and you're like hey here's a bucket of water pour it on everything listen he he wanted to make sure it was as you were okay so the big reveal is that I have actually never read this before get the fuck out of here that's fucking insane. You're a dirty that liar. Just like call the last caller. <laughs> that is absolutely true. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Um, Sean, you're my good friend. I've known you for several years now. Explain yourself. <laughs> okay. So I fell in love with Jean Grey as a character through the show. This story arc, it, it happens in the X-Men animated series and she's a mainstay character throughout pretty much the whole show. And that is where the basis for my adoration of this character comes in. I thought, like, I've seen so much content based around this story that I know it so well that I felt like I had read it, but I actually never had. And I realized that a couple of years ago. Wait a second. I've never read the Dark Phoenix storyline. I know it, but I've never read it. And um, I guess I never went out of my way to read it, uh, in part because, I, like I said, I knew it so well, but also because, especially in my younger comics reading years, I had an unfortunate aversion to reading older comics. I feel that. Because I, that. I, I never liked... The, the way they were overwrought. Um, I couldn't appreciate the art. I do now. I couldn't... I just... At 15, compared to what was happening at the time, I couldn't jive with this kind of art style. It didn't work for me. Um, and I just felt like modern stories were better. And because she wasn't in the, in the, in the comics anymore, because she was gone, I was like, well, all right. I know the story. I don't feel the need to go buy it to read how she died. I know how she died. Um, as it turns out, that was a big mistake on my part, and I'm so glad to have finally read it. And in a way, I'm glad that my first ever reading took place because of this book club. Yeah, this book club is great at making uh, us read things. <laughs> yeah, right. I am so bitterly disappointed. <laughs> but the announcement? Why? <laughs> I feel that in my bones. Why? I knew it would be some bullshit. Like, I don't even know who Jean Grey is. This is the first time I've ever seen this character. Jean, Jean Grey dies? That's not bullshit. That's a that's a big time yep. reveal. I'm Jean Grey. Guy. I said the bullshit. I was the one with the bullshit. Just, I I don't know. What did you want? What? I don't know. I don't. <laughs> it know. wasn't that. That's the thing. I don't even know. 
but it, it definitely wasn't that. Before the before the show even started today, Kel was telling me about how when he was a kid he wanted to play Pokemon Crystal, and the store he went to had it reserved, so he couldn't get it, and he was pissed off because he didn't go to another store, and his parents said, well, why didn't you say you wanted to go to another store? That's what this shit is. <laughs> What did you think I was gonna say that when I was that that, that when I was young I shoved Jean Grey action figures <laughs> up my ass like what the hell did you expect? Listen, what you do in your furry costume <laughs> is between you and your God. All right, I just I'm gonna sit here in my disappointment. Let's continue the show. Very now, good. okay, let's let me let me focus this for a second. Uh, where where your you you were familiar with it kind of by osmosis, Sean. Um, how surprised were you by what you read? Like, I mean, did you actually know everything going in, or was it just kind of like, oh, I watched the episode, I've read the Wikipedia article. Uh, like, did the events of the book actually surprise you? I knew literally everything. Okay. That there was the only thing that the only thing that I was surprised by. That that I had never seen before was the way that she did. Okay, yeah. The, but other than that, I, I knew everything. That's we'll get into it. But the backstory behind what happens to the character in terms of editorial is very interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I'm I'm dying to talk about that. So let's just jump right into talking about the book. Right before we do that, I want to let you guys know where you can find us, let you know how you can tell us your experience with this book, and uh, hopefully you read along so you can let us know your feedback about the conversation we're about to have. Uh, we are on most podcast hosting platforms at the Comics Pals, of course. Make sure to leave us a like on your platform of choice. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com, and on social media, we are at the Comics Pals. so check us out, and, uh, you know, drop us, a, drop us a line. So... Jumping right into the book. This book introduces so many characters and concepts and ideas that it like it was sh- almost shocking to me how many things came about for the first time in this book. Or at least were in the early stages of existing. Like the Hellfire Club, uh, Kitty mm-hmm. Pride, Dazzler. The Shi'ar, those are major characters and, 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 and groups within the Marvel Universe, let alone the X-Men Universe. And um, Claremont and Byrne, they, they really go out of their way to populate this book with characters that are memorable and really a lot of fun. So the book starts with essentially the Hellfire Club setting a trap for the X-Men. They're in the aftermath of their fight with Proteus, and there's a lot of tension and uncertainty. Professor X has just kind of come back into the mix. The book really finds these characters in an interesting place. Um, what did you guys think of... Like, were you were you confused at all? Because we talk a lot... Like, for the Infinity Book Club, we talked about how... Uh, if you hadn't read a lot of the other stuff, the, the preamble stuff, you'd have a lot of questions. Did you come into this with a lot of questions, or did you feel like Claremont did a good job of explaining everything? I don't know how you could be confused because they recap the events of yep. every page in the yep. next page. So if you were confused, you just weren't reading. This, this is how 
they published comics uh, until the 90s, really, where it is published with the intent that any issue could be a reader's first issue. So the recap of what happened before is so extensive that it's almost impossible to be confused. There's so much exposition of previous events. Editor's notes, all that stuff. So, like, coming into it, already understanding, like, a bit of the universe, I think definitely it should be pretty clear. Um, But I know somebody who's, as, like, somebody who was just jumping into Marvel was confused even from, like, an, an ability standpoint because you don't necessarily, they'll give you a rundown of, like, events, but not necessarily what each character's, like, function might be in part into a story element. Um, and if you don't have context into like who they are, it can make it a little confusing. But outside of that, I, I, I agree with it, with that. It's like pretty clear and concise as to how you sort of jump into the story. Cool. Uh, so as I mentioned from almost the word go, we're dealing with the hellfire clubs trap and we're dealing with Jason Wingard inside of Jean Grey's mind. Uh, this was actually one of the, the, the only other thing that I was surprised by. So later we learned that uh, Jason Wingard is actually Mastermind, uh, the villain Mastermind, who I'm familiar with. I didn't know that Jason Wingard was um, actually Mastermind because in the show, that's not the case. In yeah, Wingard is his own He's his own character. guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was actually pretty interesting for me. Um, did the what did you guys think of the the pacing of this portion of the story? It really, really, I felt moves mm-hmm. fast. They didn't have a ton of issues to work with. They get through a lot really quick. I, I mean, I had no issue with the pacing at all. Um, it is kind of quick, but um, this is. Again, it's just a stylistic thing. Like, in in the way that comics are published now, with the intent of stretching a story arc over six issues, and this is a story arc that it goes, you know, what eleven issues or whatever it is for the Dark Phoenix Saga specifically. Um, there is still an element of trying to tell self-contained stories within each issue with like a cliffhanger. Like I said, it feels like watching Dragon Ball Z in the 90s where it's like a cliffhanger at the end of every episode. Um, and I have no issue with that style. And it's it's really what made the X-Men so popular is that um, it was quick pace, a lot of action, a lot of drama, suspenseful, climax. Um, yeah, I had no issue. Uh, I, I, I guess I didn't necessarily have an issue with the pacing per se. But sort of the way that, like, the action is handled, like, there will be these long, prosaic um, descriptions of things that happen. Like, I can't, I can't find it now, but there's a, a, a panel where Storm is taking down a bad guy and she says something to the effect of uh, oh I've got to zap them with my lightning powers and blow them away with the gales of uh, the African plains and 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 then the caption is she does it works oh and it's they like, can they do yeah yeah it's just like how did he get away with that what the f- <laughs> Are, do you guys know how this was scripted 
Was this uh, was this the Marvel method, or do you have any idea? Hmm. I yeah, I don't even know how you would. I'm sure somebody might have said it at some point, but in any event, that's one of the things that always bothered me about this era of comics. Yeah. As I've gotten older, for whatever reason, I've developed an appreciation for it in a lot of ways, and I think that Claremont and Byrne did a great job, especially trying to like put myself in the mindset of someone who was reading this at the time. Um, this has got to be the most riveting stuff ever for you know 1980. This is my wheelhouse. This is when I. This is my ideal era of the X Men. It's a good era. I love the art. I think I think Byrne killed it. This is my team. I this is my fucking shit. Yeah, I actually the for the first time ever in my life found myself wishing that I was around when this was being published. I wish I could have felt that because there were a few times where I went, oh my god, or I was shocked or whatever. There were a few times I wish I could have had to sit with that cliffhanger for a month and and stew in it and think about it and um that's not a feeling i've ever had about an older book yeah i can only imagine um it definitely drove people to keep buying them this was really innovative because i mean batman books weren't being published like this where it's like a major cliffhanger i mean the tv show like was campy and had a little bit of that but books weren't really being published like that um kale mentioned teen titans that's the only real comparison i can think of at this time Teen Titans, and I was I was also thinking just now of uh, the Legion of Superheroes was a, a really big uh, deal at this time as Perez. well. Yeah, yeah. One, the only problem I think I had, especially in the earlier goings, was Professor mm-hmm. X's characterization. Yeah. I really it, it maybe it maybe more context is required, but it really didn't seem to fit with who he's yeah. supposed to be. And I understand that he was coming, like he had just returned from wherever, and um, you know he was he was feeling resentment for the team not being his. But that's just very strange. So this is this, this is how it was written back then. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say this is like when you pick it up from basically the beginning of almost any run, like even from the very first issue, he's like kind of a dick. He's just like really, absolutely, like really yeah. just like aggressive yeah. and very uh, demanding and controlling. This is this is his character. I, that's the the one thing that and having experienced X-Men outside of the comics going into this is the one thing that you kind of feel shitty about because he's this really great character from in the movies, but he's an asshole everywhere else. Yeah, I mean, everyone always yeah. kind of talks about this this uh, allegory of him being a Martin uh, being like Martin Luther right. King Jr. and that's that's like insulting the Martin Luther King Jr. because like it's a, that's Martin a new Luther reincarnation. King Jr. never what's that? Like, that's like a new reincarnation of him. Or, or it's kind of it's it's um, it's, yeah. revisionist. it's revisionist, yeah. Um, yeah. And Patrick Stewart certainly does a great job of coming off as kind of this Martin Luther King allegory in uh, the X Men movies he's in. But in the sixties and seventies, he's this dickhead who yep. <laughs> recruits uh, super powered kids to fucking you know fight bad guys. He's not too oh, dissimilar that, that. to um, what's his name from uh, um, Doom Patrol. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, he he also had like this uh, this uh, 
pedophilic uh, fascination with Jean, uh, Grey. with Jean Grey in the first in the first I don't know it may have been the whole first series it's definitely in the first few issues very weird uh, <laughs> but no I, I wasn't I didn't love the way he was utilized here for the most part like especially in mm-hmm. the early goings of the book um what I did love was the team composition. So this is this is like the new era X-Men at that time, uh, like a relatively new crew, right? And um, I love seeing like Wolverine, you know, classic version before he was the most popular X-Man, you know, maybe I mean he was probably pretty popular already, but he I'm sure he wasn't like, you know, the X, you know, Wolverine and the X Men wasn't a thing, you know? Exactly. Um, just getting to be that classic character. And I found myself able to appreciate him in a way that I very rarely have in modern mm-hmm. comics. Yeah. Colossus yeah. as well. Go ahead, Kill. Well, I was gonna say about about Wolverine, it's it's funny actually seeing him say, I'm the best at what I do, and it not be like a yeah. an ironic obvious like look back at <laughs> a bygone era right like it's not a callback it's just what he says it's just it's what it's fucking wolverine <laughs> like this is where yeah, the greatest before good i was just gonna say this before everyone hated wolverine because he wasn't a fucking like joke uh this is where right. the greatest love story begins oh tell me more colossus yep. and kitty Oh, I thought you meant Logan and Scott. <laughs> <laughs> this is where a young Brian Michael Bendis was reading comics and thinking, what does he have that I don't got? <laughs> anyway. It, it, it's actually pretty weird because Claremont is obviously planting seeds mm. for something with Colossus and Kitty. And they clearly say she's 13 and a half <laughs> yep. years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Typical X Men picking up weird. kids. I, I, so, listen, that, that may very well have been a uh, burn because he did the same thing in his Fantastic Four run with uh, Reed and Sue. In, uh, in his, um, in his run, Reed, uh, when he was in grad school, stayed with the uh the storms and sue was like eight i think uh an adult and and it's like a and 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 yeah and he and he looks at sue and he goes that girl's gonna be my wife (laughs) and uh it was a huge point of contention when uh fraction started uh 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 writing the book that was one of the things that he was like yeah, we gotta we gotta change some things with the timeline because. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a little weird, but um, yeah. So finding several of the X Men in very very interesting places, but I think we have to spend some time talking about the relationship between Cyclops and Jean in this book, especially in the earlier goings. Um, it's it's funny because this is such a different time, like in our world even, because mm. there's a moment where Gene is just basically making out with Angel, and it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that too. <laughs> like, 
like no one particularly cares that that's happening. It you know what it reminded me of uh, again to call it back to to Bendis um, in in his run. She she does something similar with Beast, and it's kind of hinted that they're going to start dating or something. Oh, oh yeah, the the, the, yeah. the 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 1960s version, the the original yeah. five, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sean. I don't know. You yeah. you speak to on speak on your woman here. So, <laughs> he, he the, wishes he kissed she'd kiss him like that. Uh, no, of course not. One of the things that I found myself asking constantly was what of her actions is the Phoenix, and what of her actions is what Jean wants to do. Yeah, and. I'm I'm sure that that was something that was deliberate. That was a deliberate thought they wanted us to have, and I think that it worked really, really Not well. exactly. And I, well, okay. Cla- Claremont ahead. has talked about how when he was writing, it, he wasn't even sure <laughs> what was which. Yeah, but you could still like he could have defined it if he wanted to, yeah. right? Uh and and th- and again, this is such a this is a thing that would only have worked at that time because in this in this instance, right? Or even when she like kisses Jason Wingard mm. when she first meets him in in 2019, if you wrote that and Cyclops didn't just like punch him in the face, he wouldn't be a character that anyone would care about. He, you couldn't. Oh, do everyone that. on the internet would he, be calling he, him a cuck. Right, exactly. Uh, you, you'd have the Mad Murphy <laughs> rightfully calling him out, um, and and I and I like the fact that there is. I like being able to read these books and see. Oh well, that's very different than how that would go down now. But here's how it actually affects the plot. Um, so yeah, being able to look at Jean and seeing her actions and going, what is who is acting right now, and what is that who. Is this the Phoenix or is it Jean? That's one of the overarching questions of the entire series. And I think especially when you get to the end, you start to see that she was probably in a battle for her soul the entire time. What do you think of all the uh, Hellfire stuff with Jason Wingard? I loved it. I I loved it. Um, What I didn't love... I'll start with what I didn't love. So... Several times throughout this book, there's a a thing that I've seen like a million times in old comics, which is devices that do things that are unbelievable. <laughs> so, Emma Frost gives Jason Wingard, you know, Mastermind, a device that they don't even really explain that somehow allows him to mess with the mind of the most powerful telepath on the entire planet, right? Later on, Beast has a device that he can put on her head that all of a sudden makes it so that she can't use her powers. I really hate things like that, but that's just a product of the time, I guess. Sean, you ever see the Um, source material of what uh, Jean Grey as the Black Queen is based on? No. Um, It was from an episode of that old 60s British show, The Avengers. Oh, the Avengers. Yeah, okay, I've read it. Uh, you should, at some point, look up um, Diana Rigg, Black Queen, to see what they were going for. And it's basically real-life Jean Grey. Well, let I guess a- I'll do it now. Let me ask you this, Phil. What does that have to do with what Sean was talking <laughs> I'm about? I'm just saying, I'm trying to really feed his Jean Grey stuff right now. Uh, 
I mean, cool, but I mean, we can have the porn pals with Marco and Matt Murphy later. <laughs> um, we're trying to talk about the comic book. All right. <laughs> but 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 the, the the question you posed was how we feel about uh, the the Hellfire Club yeah. stuff. I felt like the Hellfire Club was a very very powerful uh, group of villains, and it it didn't feel. They were a little bit like ridiculous, like how however they were able to you know use Cerebro to check track their every move and stuff. That was a little wacky, but otherwise they felt very formidable and not in a cheesy way. I love all of these characters and their power sets. Um, <laughs> uh, Harry Leland is one of my favorite characters because he just doesn't look threatening in any <laughs> way, but he's actually extremely powerful. Well, and especially the way he dies too is. Absolutely hilarious. <laughs> Talk about it. Go ahead. He so Wolverine launches him off a, a balcony railing and he hits the floor and he Wolverine is jumping off the railing to come get him and he has the split reactionary thought of, oh, I'll make Wolverine's mask greater. Oh shit, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> I really did love that moment. That was awesome. What what I find so fascinating about the Hellfire Club, and, and I think I've always thought this, I think their a lot of their appeal for me is is their style. Because it's this we it's this weird uh Victorian, um, uh, not Americana, but like like this Victorian era. Uh, I don't know power fantasy. Well, that kind of leads into what the point that uh, Phil was trying to make earlier is that this entire the, their look and and the way their like place looks and everything was directly inspired by that that episode of Avengers. So that's where they got that idea from. Which I, I think that concept was just mm. meant to be like, uh, it's a weird uh, secret society with probably weird sex cult shit going on. Because they're, it's like that movie Eyes Wide Shut by Stanley Kubrick where it's it's a bunch of really rich people who have a lot of power and affluence uh, and they probably don't have a lot of work to do because they're really rich and have a lot of people doing work for them. So they have a lot of free time on their hands and they do some weird shit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I and I agree with you, Kale. I really love the way they look. When I was younger, I couldn't understand their their dress. Like, I just didn't get it. I was like, I've never who dresses like this. Um, but I really do appreciate their style now, especially. And I love the idea that they are this like hyper elite inner circle, and that some of them are mutants. I love the fact that that they're showcasing mutants who who aren't ashamed of themselves. Like they're they're mutants, they're powerful, they're cool to, with that. For me like what made like they're what sort of made this book fun for me in the sense that they were all about like the high drama. It was all very like, you know, like super yeah. super dramatic, all the scheming, all of this sort of it was just a lot all contained into one and so that was kind of fun to to have to unravel and see their connections and all the and all that. So, um yeah, they 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 worked really well for me and just made the book sort of something to center around as much as it is like dark Phoenix. It also made it 
very much like a central point of like of plot to just constantly be like around them and then like the effects of actions and that kind of stuff it, it just made that sort of uh fun yeah i i, I completely agree with that um and it, it's it's interesting the idea of casting phoenix even as powerful as she was as kind of this you know bargaining chip that jason mm-hmm. wingard has where he has power over her and he can use that to take control of the Hellfire Club and how that ends up kind of being his downfall. I love that as a... I don't want to get super deep into the the metaphor of, of like, you know, women and powerlessness and stuff like that because I don't know how much of that was in the minds of the creators. Mm-hmm. But I know that when I was reading this and, and even even having watched those episodes... I thought to myself, they look at her as, even as knowing how powerful she is, they still look at her as a weak woman. Mm. And they don't think that she can will herself out of the situation that they have. Yeah, he completely undermines her the whole time. Exactly. And it's amazing to me that they were so arrogant. I mean, they're, they're obviously like hyper elite people. Jason Wingard was more afraid of uh oh god what's the uh what's the leader's name why can't i remember shaw yeah sebastian shaw, shaw. sebastian shaw yeah. he was more afraid of shaw than gene yep that's incredible and all that is the inside of the incident that leads to the climax of the dark fi- dark phoenix rising anyway right exactly they caused what was almost you know the yep. end of the universe what did you guys make of uh of emma frost's uh involvement in the series <laughs> oh yeah she yeah <laughs> all right okay hold on hold on i'd like to oh, explore this do for we a have second. a caller uh marco <laughs> yes. a- emma frost or gene gray oh interesting um you know one thank you for calling in again uh that's 1-800-PALS-CALL um so i i'm gonna have to go yeah emma like she's just she just has it the whole deal <laughs> thank you again uh and, and i feel like good, great this is devolving into what like 50 percent of x-men conversations devolve into god damn these characters are hot <laughs> i just i just cut through you know get to the point yep uh-huh <laughs> um it's amazing how much she's developed as a character over the last uh 35 years um, she's pretty one-dimensional in this book, and this is a character who ends up having her own school and uh, developing a romance with Scott Summers, and it she's uh, maybe more than most characters in comics has had like a legitimate linear character development over the, since her inception as a character. Yeah. So more more seriously, like I uh, obviously to to your point, Phil, she is sort of just kind of used as like a a sexy mirror image to Jean Grey, essentially. Like, like she is yeah. put in that position, and that's sort of her only device. Um, and uh, the only other time I've actually read her is when I read some of the Astonishing X Men stuff. Um, <clears throat> and at that point, you know, she was coming into this role as, I believe, the headmaster, and she, uh, they just finished up with uh, stuff on Gen- Genosha. Um, uh. and so like I, you, I was able to see her like char, like lead and, and actually 
be this fuller character. And so that was really cool to see that that difference. And it, it just like remind, reminded me that, you know, she becomes so much more later on. Hmm. What What is the next time we see her after this? Do you guys know? Uh, the next time we see her after this. Uh, I think there's a short arc with her. Um. Well, let's not let's not dwell on that too much. Uh, if we have the chance to look it up and, and answer the question, we will. Uh, I was one of the things that was so cool about reading this was seeing you can tell where future writers plucked I plucked concepts that weren't followed up on and then brought them into the fold. So, like in this book, Emma Frost is saying she has a school, which is you know presumably not true. Uh, later on, she does go on to. Have I think. School, I think. It, no, you know? I think it is true actually, because I think the next time you see her, and I could be wrong, listeners can correct me, is probably in New Mutants, uh, which is also by Claremont, when she debuts the Hellions. Oh yes, that's right. Right, oh. right. Okay, there you go. Um, but even 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 then, like then there's the idea, and and you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but. Jason Wingard is having a essentially an affair with Jean Grey in her yep. mind, and in Grant Morrison's run, yep. Emma Frost and Cyclops have an affair in yep. his mind, and I, I I put that together. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. That's very Morrison of him to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I loved Emma Frost in this book. I love how she's unabashedly herself. And I don't know if this was deliberate, but she is absolutely the exact opposite of Jean Grey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, she's literally the white queen. Jean Grey becomes the black queen. Um, but like, even in terms of the way that they present themselves in, throughout the entire book, Jean Grey is very much covered up when she's Jean by her, you know, without any influence. Very much covered up. Very much a reserved person. Emma is not that at all. And um, I've always appreciated her for being that way. Uh, and of course, I love how she develops later. But for her role in this book, I thought she was perfectly cast. And I really enjoyed her character. And it's too bad that she kind of just disappears. Well, she she does get beat, but, you know. She takes a backseat for the bigger story that's happening here. Right. She Yeah, she's smart and lets the men uh, get beat. While she walks off to live another day. <laughs> That's not where I thought you were going, but it turned out better than I expected. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so my favorite moment of all in the in the Hellfire Club segment of this book is when Harry Leland <laughs> makes Wolverine so heavy that mm. he falls through the bridge and ends up in the sewers or whatever. And he has to get back to save the X-Men and he's by himself. That's one of the coolest things that I've ever seen in a comic book before. And again, it's one of those things where if they did that today, it would not feel the same because Wolverine is this uber popular character, but seeing it happen in 1980 before he was that just so awesome. Having to watch him, 
cut through those generic mm-hmm. goons and you know go through all that he went through to eventually get back to have his rematch with Harry Leland. I just love that whole. Yeah, scene. this is this is this is, in wrestling terms. This is when a guy is becoming more and more popular organically, and he's doing cool shit because he's cool. You know, Wolverine was awesome back then, and eventually. The company publishing the book sees, oh, wow, Wolverine's really popular. Well, let's put him in everything. And everyone's like, God, go away. <laughs> this is this right. is before that. This is when you could look at Wolverine and be like, God damn, what a rad fucking little badass he is. Yeah. I love all the references to him being small. <laughs> yeah. And too. yeah. Shorts. Everyone calls him short stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone calls and him short And it's funny because like, it accentuates his character, but... Yeah. I, like if you yeah. obviously now it's just kind of you can't do that because that's not him. No, I kind of feel like they draw him differently now. Honestly, if I'm not like back then when you look at him compared to like even Nightcrawler who isn't very big, he's little. But when you look at him now, he looks like he's six foot. <laughs> I think I think it depends on the artist mostly. That's fair. Um, if I if I recall, uh, John Cassidy in in Astonishing does. A really good Wolverine that is at least at the very least shorter than everybody I, else. I feel like Hugh Jackman, the actor, is has definitely colored what a lot yeah. of people how a lot of people look at Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um. The, the, so it, before we move on from this portion of the book, the other thing that I really love is how Claremont and Byrne give everyone opportunities to sort of shine. I think everybody gets really great moments throughout. The only character that I don't really think you can say that about is Dazzler. Um, oh, that's because she walks off. Right, she, yeah. She's like, nah, I don't need this shit. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I, I particularly think about how uh, Storm figures out how to beat Sebastian Shaw just to freeze him. Mm-hmm. I really love that. Uh, I love how uh, Donald Pierce is talking down to Colossus and he's not having it and he just shreds his arm or like destroys it. I really love that part too. There's just there's just a lot of really, really great moments. And it's almost surprising that a creative team was able to get this many great moments in so few issues. When you compare that to like, let's say Infinity, just because that's the most recent book club we did, there were some pretty cool moments in that book, but I wouldn't necessarily say that there were as many iconic ones, and that was 16 or some odd issues, right? So um, Hickman was clearly balancing a ton of characters. Absolutely. Sure. Just, it was just off the top. Where, where the focus here is, you know, on the seven core giant-sized X-Men that are being featured, more or less, give or take a couple. Um, yeah, and I also like when uh, you first see the real glimpse of the dark phoenix it's not quite dark phoenix but storm is like holy shit that was scary is that eugene and she's like i'm not sure because it it, it kind of showcases storm's humanity where it's like this you don't you don't really seem like the gene i know well and that's that's something i i wanted to bring up before we left this too is that is that moment where uh uh the black queen uh asserts her dominance over storm as a right a person of color boy that made me uncomfortable <laughs> yeah I and especially to... especially later on as 
you know, Jean is going through all this and Storm's like, she's, but she's, I love her so much. She's my sister. I was like, dog? Well, well, in her defense, uh, I think she's still rationalizing. Oh, go, go on, Whitey. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, okay, in her defense, <laughs> she clearly is able to tell that that wasn't her friend who was talking to her, that that, that she was experiencing something that wasn't real and she wasn't seeing them properly. So I was able to uh, look past that very easily. Sure. Um, In no modern comic would Storm be referred to as a slave. But I'm going to be really honest. As shocking as that was, and it was really shocking, I liked that. I I, 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 I read it and I was like, yeah, that's going to happen here. And just kept going. That's what yeah, I was thinking yeah, too. It, add, it definitely adds to the scenario for sure. Like how deep she was. In you, it. you think like yeah. oh, anyone in the Hellfire Club definitely thinks this way. <laughs> <laughs> well, and especially because she was she was put in her yeah. mind into yep. the body of someone who existed two hundred years ago, where you know she well may have thought like that, and she's seeing the world that way. So I took no issue with it at all. Obviously, I'm sure that that's controversial and maybe it was at the time. I don't know. But um, I think it worked, to be honest. Uh, but the other thing with Gene, and this is a broader, you know, this is this is a much broader conversation, <laughs> is that I think that even if you can't necessarily relate to, I mean, no one can relate to exactly what they're going through. If you strip away all the, the X-Men of it all and the, the comics and all that, what they're dealing with is somebody who's going through something very serious and they can tell that it's getting bad, but they don't know how to address it because this is their friend. This is their, I mean, like you said, Gail Storm refers to her as her sister. This is someone who they deeply care about, who's they feel like might be on the brink of something really heavy. And I think a lot of us have probably experienced having to go through that with a friend. Or a family member, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whether it's, you know, whatever. There's a million different things. And I so understood their hesitation to really confront her about this problem. It kind of feels like, it it kind of feels like it's watching, it's watching your friend have a nervous breakdown and experience some kind of schizophrenia. Because it's like she has a multiple personality disorder kind of thing. So... Like, it's like, it's like when you're around a person that is experiencing maybe even PTSD or something, um, there are good days and bad days. And it's like, what day are we going to catch Gene on? Right. Mm. Yeah. Well, and I think, I also think it, it speaks a lot to broader culture and like how things were back then when it was just like. Uh, it's probably better if we just don't acknowledge it and we don't approach her about it. It's probably it'll work itself out. It'll be fine. yeah. Because uh, when Gene becomes Phoenix to begin with, they just don't acknowledge it. Like, oh, cool, Gene's really powerful now. Sweet, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess it. It did remind me a lot of mental illness and i have had to deal with something like this in my personal life with a family member and 
this was when I was extremely young. And uh, I, I remember just not being able to understand what was going on. They're adults in the book. They're much more, you know, aware and capable. But, I, like, stripping all of that away and just looking at it from a, the lens of real life, you don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. And when it is your friend or it is your family that you see going through something that's out of your depth, it's like, oh, my God, how do you deal with this? You know? And then when you tack on the fact that, well, this person's actually the most powerful person that you've ever met and has, you know, the potential to destroy life with the blink of an eye, you might not want to press that button. Um, So that was always in the back of my mind, too, when I was reading this book. And as we got into the next chapter, where her power growth becomes a real problem. How do you think Cyclops dealt with it? Uh, I think that Claremont, you know, even as overwrought as the book is, and, you know, it, it just is what it is, right? We, you know, we understand. I think he does a fairly good job of letting us see what it is that Cyclops feels and thinks about what's going on. It's obviously something that's very hard for him to deal with and that he doesn't know how to deal with. Um, he gets one beautiful moment with Jean yeah. on that, you know, mountain where she's able to take his, restrain his powers so that she can look at him and they can, you know, uh, make love without him having to have his visor on or anything like that. And that was nice. But still, imagine what it must have been like for him to think, well, this is cool and everything, but how are you able to do this? Mm. (laughs) It's a a fear not busted. (laughs) Right. And, And the... There's there's an element of Jean as she, you know, devolves that's just purely just purely seeking joy. She's completely insatiable, she's seeking pleasure, and everything that she does from kissing Angel to having sex with Cyclops on this mountain, all of that is 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 playing into that. Yeah. It also like uh helps build on scott and gene's relationship like he trusted her enough to be able to just like kind of have it at the back of his mind but just kind of like let it evolve to an extent so just add to it we we missed oh did i you're cutting out baby okay uh i just said it added to their relationship um Scott and Jean, because like it accentuated that he like trusted her. Am I cutting out? Cool. Well, uh, here's a joke. Uh, I think the whole time he was looking, he was thinking, "Man, I wish he had a clone that wasn't crazy." <laughs> is Marco there? Uh, he's still frozen. Yep. Oh, no, he's, he's, oh, oh there he is. Hi. Hello. All right. I am not frozen. Cool. Okay. Cool. How you doing on time, by the way? Uh, I have like 10 minutes. Okay. Alright. So, go ahead and restate your point. For you guys? I, I said it for the recording. We can move on, if anything. <laughs> yeah, but we, we can't address oh, it. I, I was, can't. Okay, I... Oh, boy. Gene uh, and Scott's relationship is accentuated because he's a, like he trusts her even with that power. There you go. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think that there's definitely an element of that, and I think you can see the progression of his fear. Um, and the mm. deeper that they get into this whole story, the more and more you can see his concern. Um, I really felt for Cyclops when Gene, you know, makes out with Jason Wingard on the dance floor at the Hellfire Club and then goes up to the room. And you know, you know that Cyclops would feel like crap seeing that. Any one of us could relate to that. We would feel awful. There's another element of, okay, but she's not in control of herself right now. And I'm pretty sure that's the case. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, at that point, he should have dumped her ass and said, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm going to go look for that Emma Frost lady. Where's she at? <laughs> she, she's, she looks like she's got some good things going on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she ain't worried about nothing. But of course, uh, as Kel pointed out, uh, with reference to the hammy voice acting of the animated series, instead Scott's like, Gene! <laughs> oh, Gene! <laughs> Scott! <laughs> but, so then we, you know, we kind of go into the, the second half of this story, which is when Dark Phoenix is unleashed. And... Unfortunately, this this person who's been a friend of the X Men for so long is now one at that point probably their their greatest enemy, and I love the the way that the dialogue box for Gene starts to change. It's sort of gradual, and it starts during the Hellfire Club portion, yes. but it becomes full blown, and the way her face yes. changes too. By the way, like when she finally decides that she's going to unleash on Jason, and she takes him out. That was Yo, brilliant. what happens to Jason is friggin' crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go ahead and speak. Uh, well, like anyone that would find out that this guy has been messing with your head, uh, she turns him into a potato. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, explain what you yeah, mean. I can phrase that a little better than that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, she goes in his head and basically gives him a breakdown and he breaks down and like um he's like the way they depict him too he's got like his hair is all unsha- uh, uh, disheveled and he's got like sweat coming down his face she like breaks his brain <laughs> she squishes it like a grape yeah i love that i i do love that um but yeah so then she basically destroys the the x-men's you know yep. jet uh, the Blackbird is—is is it the Blackbird yes. at this point? No, 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 it's like no. This was something no, different. Was. This was—it was a um, no. It wasn't. Hiss, dude. Try me, yeah, bitch. I'm trying you. You don't. You don't. You don't even have the damn book. Hang on, let me find the page. It's like a. It's like a. Um, it's go. like a. Um, page uh, one. Uh, the Blackbird air fueled car. and checked out, Sean. <laughs> yeah. Cute. Thank you. Uh, the X-Men Skycraft rises to the surface. Yeah, that was just another way of describing it. My dog, it's rate, not the Blackbird. Look at, at any it. It's rate, not the Blackbird. At any rate, Kale, uh, take the, the craft gets destroyed. 
and Nightcrawler has the line of the book where he's everybody's freaking out. They're all like scared to death. Jean Grey is losing her stuff, and Nightcrawl or Nightcrawler says something to the effect of, "Ah, uh, not another destroyed aircraft." <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 one thing I think is so interesting too is is how quick that moment happens. Yeah, it, it's like it is a sliver of a panel on that page, and it's like yeah. a a finger snap, and she's changed. Which I think that the point was, and I think they even elaborate a little more in the show, the animated series. I think the point was that she experienced what it was like to not care, to just be herself. Like through Jason's influence on some level, she enjoyed feeling free and unshackled. And when she unleashes on him and destroys his mind and uses the fullness of her powers against him, she's like, oh, this is sweet. I don't want to stop doing this. I feel great. And that's why she did it's, it. It's, it's kind of like an allegory for just women's liberation in general, I think, where uh, you don't have all these guys telling you what to do or what norms to abide by. Um, you kind of see that in other properties, too. Um, like the movie Vitch is, you know, these, power, these women who are liberated and these Puritans are calling them witches for doing things that men are doing. Uh, it's, kind, it's basically, right. I think that's kind of the takeaway here. And I'm not yeah, saying she should I, blow up a ship, but <laughs> an aircraft. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Oh, so sorry. Uh, yes, I, I, I think that there's a lot of merit to that, Phil. And I wonder how much of that was in Claremont's head and and Burns' head when they were putting this together. Um, because even though that is true. She also takes it to the extreme, obviously, by trying to murder her friends. What, you've never tried to do that? Well, you're still I know. here. So, I guess, if I have tried, I'm not very good at it. <laughs> but, uh, this is where it really feels like the X-Men are completely outclassed. They don't, they don't stand a chance against her. We've seen some... Of, of, of how powerful she really is throughout the book. And if you've been following along through the X-Men's journey prior to this, then you saw how she dealt with um, the Emkron Crystal and what's his name, the Can or um, whatever, uh, Lelandra's brother. I can't remember his name. But um, in any event, uh, we see how she's dealt with these people before. We know how powerful she is. What happens when she turns this on her friends? And we see that they're they have no chance. I thought it was super interesting that we only got like half an issue to, especially in this collected book, to half an issue to only really see Dark Phoenix's power, like real, like true power. She eats a sun and wipes out a, a solar system. Well, I guess like. And that's good. It. No, no, go ahead. Oh, that, that's it. That's um, like. I think I think it made sense. Like, show it to the audience, because that that's sort of like the way like I viewed it was when she left. She's obviously not. Everyone's like, oh my god, she can like, 
go out into space and do this kind of shit. But um, for us, it was like to show the 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 fury, and for that to relate to the reader versus the people on the ground. Where like when she comes back, she's just still. It's even that is shocking in and out of itself. But for the reader, it's like to make it even more again like dr- dramatic. Hmm. I think that your point, Kale, speaks to the problem with Dark Phoenix. And that is that as powerful as she is supposed to be, that power would you wouldn't be able to believe that anyone could live through what she does. Uh, let alone... No, before you ahead. guys jump into that, I have to leave. Um, but Dark Phoenix Saga, again, like one of my introductions to the realm of comics so uh huge thumbs up for me and i had a fun time rereading it uh for this book club so i'll see you guys later bye marco all right (laughs) (laughs) now that he's gone we can hit the real meat of the show so anyway as i was trying to say uh you can't have a, a, a character this powerful really exist in that form for too, too long because it just becomes ridiculous. Mm. So I think the point at which I was struggling a little bit was after she does that and somehow she's able to be beaten. Yeah, by Professor X. Right. Yeah. Which I yeah. liked Professor X coming into the equation, but... I didn't care a lot for the idea that he was able to beat her. I, I don't think it was like meant to be like he overpowered the Phoenix. It was that he was able to suppress it back into Jean Grey. Yeah, I got that, but I don't believe it. Yeah, and and he says that Jean was even helping him. That, that's probably true. And, and a lot of comics, yeah. especially at this time, Xavier is consistently being portrayed as the most powerful telepath on the planet. Sure. Cute, but this thing's not from the planet. So <laughs> That's fair. That was my problem. Like, I don't even believe that Gene and Professor X could stop the Phoenix Force. Yeah. Yeah. So... It, it felt... It, it, it felt wimpy. Yeah. Like it's it's hard to say it felt Deus Ex Machina, uh, because I, I don't think it is. So I think wimpy is the best word I can come up with because it's just like you gonna you're gonna die like a bitch like that. Like, and 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 by the way, if she hadn't just absorbed the power of a star and burned it out, I would have had a much easier time buying this. Sure. Yeah, she was completely refueled. Yeah. If the if the idea was that she was exhausted from everything she's been going through, and they wear her down through that BS machine that that, that Beast creates, yes. and everything else, and then Professor X shows up at the final moment, him and Jean are able to suppress the Phoenix with everything that they have inside of them, I got yeah. it. But including the thing about the star, too much. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think they were just looking for a way to... Uh, at the end of the day, they it was definitely coming up against the wire here to finish it. Of course. 
Of course. And and I think that they wanted to have a moment where they could show just how powerful she really is. So what um, because I was just gonna say what what do you think when she committed genocide? Uh so of course, you know, I already know I already knew that this happened, but reading it for the very first time, um it was sad. It was it was sad in a lot of ways. And again, I've had the question in my mind the entire time of is it Gene or is it the Phoenix that's doing these things? And as I was reading it, trying to divorce myself of what else I know and and how editorial reacted to this, trying to keep that out of my mind, just reading the story plainly, um, it was hard to rationalize that this character who I love so much and who is such a good person could allow this to happen. And especially to juxtapose that with what we just talked about, if Jean could help Professor X stop the Phoenix in their little fight, where was her influence to stop this? I don't... To stop the death of billions. Yeah. Yeah. She never... There's the amount of sorrow that she should feel for that having happened. I don't really feel like is ever expressed. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I villains gonna kill. Yeah, I mean, at the at the end of the day, it, it kind of feels like you kind of mentioned how she is seeking pleasures unabated without any sense of consequence. And it kind of just feels like she loses complete control, and after she dips in the star, she just completely obliterates a planet, as if there's no it. It doesn't matter. It felt it felt like Thanos. It felt like Galactus. It felt like any other cosmic thing that needs to you know feed or kill something to prove how powerful and evil they are. It's just, I guess I guess for me I divorced it more from Gene uh and and put it more on the Phoenix. I th- but but to me they're at this point like they're one in the same and that struggle to me you know it, I don't think I would count it it's as 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 two separate people. It's it's like an it's like a cancer it spreads and takes over her person and it makes it so that they're indistinguishable and they become one the same to your point, Kale. Um, mm. I, I, to push back a little bit, I guess, is I think the way you can distinguish that Jean does feel remorse and sorrow is the way she dies. Yeah. She... But, yeah. Go ahead, no, sorry. I mean, I, I mean I'm, I'm getting ahead a little bit here, but she kills herself because she can't control it. Right. And I took that as an acknowledgement of the fact that she would, she and everyone would always have to live <clears throat> with this potential nightmare if she were to stay alive. Not as much as her deserving to die or any kind of admonishment of self based on her actions as they were. I felt like it was more of a future proofing thing mm. than a than 
than a, a punitive action, if you will. Yeah, I wouldn't say it, it. It's not that it was punitive. It, what you're saying, I don't think inherently contradicts it. It's that everyone I know is gonna have to deal with the fact that I can't control this murderous temptation I have, and this kind of thing is gonna keep happening. I have to step in front of myself and stop it. Right. Agreed. The problem is that she already tried to stop herself with Professor X's help. So we already know that she's not cool with what she does. So the fact that she killed all those people doesn't... If she had never helped Professor X, then I would agree with you. But because she already tried to stop herself, this was just her doing more of what she had already done. It was a final measure because she knew that the danger was real. But she didn't have an opportunity to kill herself when she helped Professor X shut the Phoenix down. Does that make sense? That's my perspective, anyway. Was there even a moment where Jean was like, oh, man, I can't believe I killed all those people? Pretty sure there was. When every, was there? When, okay. when everyone is reacting to the news of what she did, I'm fairly sure that she also has a reaction, but I didn't yeah. feel like it was, you know. that It was probably that extent. Oh, man, I can't believe I did that. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let, let's let's get to the Shi'ar stuff and, and dissect that. Uh, basically, while the Phoenix is in is in space, you know, she destroys a Shi'ar ship and Lalandra is alerted, and they realize that they need to deal with her because they understand the threat that this presents, and they they uh they gather the X Men up on their 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 ship or whatever they basically say we have to we have to kill the phoenix you know we we have to we have to get rid of her and the x-men don't want to allow that so they're basically supposed to have this fight to the death and if the x-men win then gene lives if the x-men lose then the x-men have to leave and let the shiar do whatever they'll do with gene what's interesting about this is that Professor X is the one who basically conscripts the X-Men to have to fight for their lives to save their friend, which is not something they were necessarily inclined to do because they just learned that Gene killed a billion-plus people. I thought that was a really interesting uh, point. It definitely definitely makes their pages of... um soliloquy uh, a lot a lot more um uh i guess digestible it, g- it gives it uh you know some more meat and weight yes yeah um professor x is a dick <laughs> <laughs> this leads to us getting to see the Shi'ar versus the X-Men, which awesome. is a very cool fight, I thought. And I feel like the way that Chris and John laid this out, this is so incredible. Um, really, really excellent scripting, I think. And the paneling, you can feel the tension throughout this entire portion. And I was very emotional during the portion where Cyclops and 
and Jean are running for their lives. And she's basically powerless at this point. She's she's she doesn't have much that she can really offer in the fight because she, you know, she has to suppress herself and she's back to being caged. And um they they die. The the implication is that they're they're either straight up dead or they're as near as they can be to death. And the Phoenix comes out seeing because she sees Cyclops his life threatened and now they know we can never escape this. She will always do this. And that was the saddest part of the book for me. How do you Um, think the watcher felt? Oh my God. (laughs) When I saw the watcher, I was like, Oh, this is crazy. Like his appearance was so perfect and perfectly placed because what I understand now about, I don't know what, what the watcher's presence in a book meant at that time, but mm. I understand now that when the watcher appears, he's there because something yep. incredible is about to happen. Something worth the same seeing. thing happened in the infinity gauntlet. Yeah. Right. That's, that's exactly and, what happened here. Right. And I, I thought that his appearance at the start of the issue uh, gave it extra weight that it wouldn't necessarily have had otherwise. At least at the start of it, to start it that way was perfect. Yeah, um, yeah, I love the the fight between the uh, the Imperial Guard and the X Men. Seeing the two big hosses duke it out between Colossus and Gladiator. Yeah. Oh, I'm here mm-hmm. for it. Obviously, Gladiator's in a completely different weight class as Colossus, but man, I was here to watch Colossus <laughs> hold his own here. I didn't know. Uh, I didn't know Smasher was a character before uh, Hickman. I'd never seen uh, Smasher. Before. Smasher. I hardly even know her. <laughs> <laughs> Thank well you. Played. Um. Yeah. I, I. I. really like seeing all these characters, especially Gladiator. Gladiator has always been one of my favorites uh, because of the show and seeing him. Basically, the implication here is that the X Men can't win this fight. There's nothing that they can do to win. Gladiator cannot be stopped. Uh, they're just outclassed in every single way. And j- no matter what they did, they were going to lose Gene. And I, th- I thought that was awesome. Um, but what I didn't think was awesome, what I actually really disliked, was the way in which Gene actually dies. Why? So, I've seen Jean Grey die several times in my life. I have watched the person I love die so many times. Is there a comic book character that's died more times than Jean Grey? Mm, Like a hero? Probably Superman. Superman's died, oh, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Because, <laughs> like, yeah, at, uh, hero-wise, maybe, yeah, may, maybe um, uh, Super Superman. But um, I've seen her die a lot. And this, I think, was the weakest version that I've seen. Because she died in, obviously, Grant Morrison's X-Men. Yeah. And that was great. Uh, she died in X Men: The Last Stand, 
and say what you want about that movie. I think that was great. Um, this felt whimpery. She uses an ancient Shi'ar weapon to uh, shoot herself. And that's kind of lame to me. I hate, you know, oh, I use this thing that no one knows about, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it just kind of feels like BS. Uh, the fact that she kills herself works for what they were going for. But at the same time, I think it would have had a lot more weight if one of the X-Men had to do it. Um, isn't that what happens in The Last Stand? Doesn't Wolverine have to kill her? Wolverine kills her, yeah. And I love that, the idea of him having to live with that. I really appreciated that. I I personally had no issue with it. Um, it was it was a hero sacrifice for a character who committed a unspeakable atrocity especially compared to what they were originally going to do um which we haven't actually spoken on we've alluded to several times um they wanted to have the shiar give custody of gene gray to the x-men as punishment kind of thing right. and they said something to the effect of like that'd be like giving germany over to the nazi soldiers after hitler is dead so i guess now is the best time, you know, since you introduced that, to discuss the uh, the, the aftermath of this book. So just just before we do that, uh, I, I, I I looked up uh, what characters have died the most, <laughs> and the only the only consistent answer I can get for how many times Jean Grey has died, she's been number one on every list of <laughs> the. The first list was unknown. The second le- the second list just says Jean Grey. Lots. <laughs> uh, but it's beating Captain America at number two with eleven times. Oh, uh, okay. So she's at least we we know she's at least died at eleven, at least twelve times. <sighs> there you All go. Right. Um, but so as as was alluded to, uh. Initially, uh, they were just gonna they were gonna let her live on, and Jim Shooter, who was the editor in chief at the time, hmm. he said, "No, there's no way you can't do that." Uh, she killed a billion people, and uh, it was actually removing the German army and leaving Hitler in power. Oh, that was right. The, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and. The, the the idea again on on the part of Claremont and Byrne was that it wasn't necessarily Jean that did these things. It was the Phoenix. It was you know that it, she was corrupted. But no one who wrote it or drew it or read it could rash could 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 rationally see it that way when they actually read the book. Uh so. Shooter said, "You gotta, you you gotta, you gotta have her die, or rather, uh, Claremont said, okay, well, then we'll just kill yeah. her, because you can't, you can't have her in chains or anything like that. The X Men will never stop trying to get her back. So the compromise was, let's kill her. And the edict on Shooter's part was, she can never oh. come back unless you can make her guiltless for the billion people's deaths. 
that's where things get really weird with this story. A lot of people may not know this, and maybe you guys can can add some light on this, but the Phoenix wasn't a cosmic entity at the time of this writing, correct? Um There's a there's a a line in the book where she does say that she's cosmic. Yeah, because in 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 the Phoenix saga, she comes from the McCann Shire crystal. Um I'm pretty sure she was a cosmic entity. Because they mentioned okay, the Phoenix uh, Force. Yeah. I don't I don't know how you could how else you would describe her. I've I've been reading online and I've I've seen that that that's what people have said. Maybe I'm incorrect. Um, but uh, they definitely... So basically, uh, what what ends up happening, the, the way that they take Gene's... Take, take the blame off of Gene for this event is uh, they basically say that once they deal with the whole... Um, the Mcron Crystal thing, I think... And all that, and she ends up the the crashed ship in Jamaica Bay. That uh, the Phoenix leaves Jean in like a cocoon, a healing pod, and creates a essentially a copy of her body to use to go about her business. And that everything we see in this story is that, and that it's not really Jean. When did that happen? I'm not sure. When that when that retcon actually um, was implemented, but the original idea, believe it or not, this is a weird story, came from Kurt Busiek, who wasn't even a writer for Marvel he was at in the college. time. He was like a college yeah. kid, hmm. and he he heard through the grapevine somehow that they were looking for a way to take Gene's blame away for this event, and he came up with the idea, and they actually went on to use it. It, it so. The reason I'm having a hard time answering your original question is because I read the original this this run knowing about the Phoenix Force, and so I that colored my reading of it. So it's kind of difficult to try to divorce what happened because we weren't reading this book in 1980. You know, hmm. it's hard to parse that. Well, even 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 if you only consider it an alien force, I don't think you can divorce the fact that aliens are technically cosmic like maybe they're not god level but and you're still you're still looking at a cosmic level and in the marvel pantheon though there's a clear distinction between like a cosmic force or just a cosmic entity versus just aliens so um well that's honestly that was always the the, the gym shooter uh um, kind of executive order here is something that became really challenging for writers on the X and, and editors on the X Men title throughout the eighties and nineties is trying to find a way to integrate Jean Grey into stories without actually bringing her back to make her guiltless. Hmm. Yeah, I bet that's why you had <laughs> shit like Rachel Summers and uh, Magdalene Pryor and all that shit. And I, I kind of feel. And I hope you guys have opinions on this as well. I feel that that knowing that takes 
all the weight off this story. I think it ruins the story. That they revive her, or that they revive other like clones of her and stuff. Sorry, I I, I guess I, I said that improperly. Knowing the oh, retcon, the recon, knowing that that this wasn't really Jean, that this was just the Phoenix using Jean's bo- using a body that she constructed to look, sound, and act like Jean. Knowing that ruins this story. You have to, yeah, you have to, it's 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 comic shit. You have to divorce whatever is bad from what's good, <laughs> you know. And, and the vacuum of that, what this book was published, this was very good. And as so much comic shit from the last twenty five years is terrible, it, it's a new writer, it's a new execution. It's just what it is. Uh, you could just everyone has their own headcanon of this shit. I I had actually never heard any any of this. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know any of this, um, and I think it's a garbage story anyway. Oh, so. you do? No, no. Um, I I have never been crazy about the Phoenix in general, um, specifically because in in my in my purview, both from the animated series, reading this uh, X three. And then as I got into reading, you know, uh, more and more, the Phoenix just kept popping up and kept coming back. And it was just like, what does it matter? Like, the Phoenix sucks. <laughs> like, like I, frankly, I enjoyed all of the parts of the story that didn't deal with the Phoenix. I just don't like the Phoenix. Huh. And so like that like that part of the story the retcon part of the story doesn't surprise me both as like someone with a history of reading comics but also as someone with like a vague understanding of the Phoenix. It's like, yeah, that sounds like some shit the Phoenix would do like why not? I uh I I can't I can't get with that. Um your your thoughts on on the phoenix as a character whether you like it or not notwithstanding um that retcon i mean like i read this book putting that outside of my mind on purpose because i didn't want that to color my reading but now that i have read it and now that i'm allowing myself to think about those two things together i i for me this story they they if you read it and you don't know that it's fine if you read it and you know that then the heat is off the story it just is if you read it and you can't divorce those things in your mind then this story's stupid because why would the phoenix kill her own self that doesn't make any sense but i i mean i would also argue that like how do you read any comic book where someone dies and you know they come back and that's have bogus. that ending. Wait, that that's bogus. Th- 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 these aren't the same things. It's like you can read Superman's story where he died, the classic death of Superman, knowing he's going to come back because the weight of this of the moment still matters. There's nothing that's happened that makes it so that that wasn't what you thought it was. If you uh, you if you thought Superman died, you were right. He did die. Jean Grey did not kill herself. Well, but had you not known about the 
editorial stuff, she did kill herself. Yeah, but she didn't, is what I'm saying. Like, historically, that's not what happened. But have you read that? What are you talking about? I'm telling you what it is. The Editorially speaking, historically speaking, that's not what happened. But in in your history, have you read that book? No. Then it doesn't exist. What type he's, of he's, he's, what? he's talking headcanon? It's, it's that same. It's that same garbage that you got to pick your own continuity to make it matter to you. I don't well, do that. That's that's not. That's how why I this book comics. sucks to you. <laughs> I didn't say the book sucks. I think the book's great. I'm saying that the the change makes it so that this book doesn't make any sense and it loses all of its heat. And you, you, I guess if you choose to read comics that way where you just ignore certain things for your own pleasure, that's fine. I've never read comics that way. I enjoy the continuity and the history of comics. And this is a retcon among several that have happened within the X-Men universe that ruin yep, stories. That, that, that's 100% true. That's why you have to choose headcanons because otherwise it stops being as fun. <laughs> I've never been able yeah. to do that. That's not. That's I, I not understand. What I do. It's one of those things that you can either do it or you can't. And if you can't do it, then you're. <sighs> I know you put yourself through hell anyway. So. Yeah, uh, I I can't understand why Shooter needed to do that. What like it, it and the. I believe they did something similar with Barry Allen after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, the idea was to, I think it was Perez that did that, right? What? The original I'm sorry, one, I... Phil? Craig, the original yeah, Crisis. it was George Perez. And, um, and the idea... um, Wolfman. Wolfman. The idea was to give Barry Allen a death that he would never come yeah, back from. Yeah, and, uh, and same thing with Captain Marvel with uh, Starlin when he died of cancer. Um, or Uncle Ben when he got shot. There are just certain characters. Or Bucky. Um, or Jason Todd. There are just several characters that were meant well, to stay well, dead but, forever. But specifically, like, with the intent of, like, the stated written-down edict, you know... You cannot bring this character back. I am making it so that this will not happen. Yeah, Jeff Johns had other um, ideas. Yeah, <laughs> that's just that's just comics. Yeah, so um, I, yeah. I, I, I this is actually now that you mention it, I had completely forgotten about this, Sean, or I had completely forgot about it, but it's not. I definitely buried in the recess of my memory. This was nine years later. This happened when a. When they did the cocoon thing, and this is right around the time I jumped off. <laughs> yeah, um, this it 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 doesn't even. Unfortunately, knowing how much maneuvering they had to do to bring a pseudo Jean Grey back into the fold of comics because they couldn't really revive her, it sours me on wanting to read more. And, uh, you know, I, I do want to, you know, wrap up here and talk about, you know, our feelings on, you know, whether we want to read more, would we recommend this? Um, I, I've never cared about Rachel Gray, Rachel Summers, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, I care less about her in the years that I, since I've learned what she is, why she exists. 
Um, and uh, I, I really, really wish that what we've discussed here about this retcon wasn't true. And maybe uh, you guys at home will see me as being stubborn, whatever. That's fine. Um, I don't read comics like that. So this is a story that I may never be able to read again because of this. Damn, that's heavy. Yeah. Um, I mean, but there's a ton of new Jean Grey material coming out right now. So I, you're probably in the best time for it. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah, I love that she's back. I don't necessarily love the way that they've ignored everything that's come before. Like, they, they really haven't... Basically, she came back and said, look, I'm not about that anymore. I'm not thinking about that. I'm a new me. New year, new me. Is that and, it? Yeah. <laughs> she's, just, she's just back. It's silly. <laughs> Just she just walks in the door. Boom! I don't do that shit anymore. I'm Jean Grey. It's it's like that John Mulaney yep. new in town bit. Oh oh cool. I, uh, I I I thought that would, <laughs> what is going on? I thought today? that was enough to explain the joke. Um, basically, she's you dropped. Phil. Oh, did I? Yeah. Oh well, shit. Sorry, I didn't know that. Let's get on my end. Um. It's the same thing. It's comics. It doesn't matter. She's back. She's not that person anymore. I think even the characters in the books now, like, wow, sh- this shit's crazy. It doesn't make a ton of sense all the time. Whatever. <laughs> uh, what about you guys? How do you ultimately feel about this story? And uh, would you recommend it? I would recommend it, by the way. Even though I feel how I feel... Um, I still think it's a great story if you can read it divorced of, you know, what came later. And uh, if you don't know that, which most people won't know, it, it won't matter for you. And this story is awesome. I love it. It's it's terrific. Um, like, I, I, I can't make that any more clear. Um, this is my X-Men era. Um, the, the wheelhouse of giant size X-Men number one through the Dark Phoenix saga, and even a little later than that, is... Among the best runs ever published in comic book history. Uh, Byrne and Claremont are a terrific team. The art's great. Um, the writing is distinct and unique, and maybe that's not your cup of tea. But I think I think it is a time capsule for something really, really great. Um, I would recommend this to anyone, especially like uh, younger readers getting into comics. This is just such a good kind of uh, entry-level book. I don't, I don't necessarily know that I would recommend it to entry-level readers. I guess it depends on their age, but um, I had, similar to Sean, I had I had a hard time when I was a kid reading oh, okay. uh, stuff like this. Um, so, yeah, I don't know that this would uh, be high on, on that particular list. But, uh, yeah, I, I would recommend it. Um, I think this is, if you're looking for something uh, with Jean Grey in it, I think there's, there's no better title it's by far the most interesting thing that happens to the character um yeah the writing the writing and the art are are phenomenal and uh i uh i think like there's a reason it's been adapted so many times like it is just it's just good 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's going to do it for our conversation here on the Dark Phoenix saga. I think if you want to read a story with Gene Granite, as Kale said, especially because now the movie's coming out, um, this is going to be, th- this is better than the movie has any chance to be. There's no question in my mind about that. Oh, yeah. And um, uh, I think if you, if you don't know much about Gene, uh, you will get a great idea of who she is as a person because even though the book doesn't show us a ton ton of her being a heroic figure, um, Claremont and Byrne do nail her personality down pretty decently throughout the book, even when you're dealing with the lapses into Phoenix territory. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it's a well-told tale and deserves its status as one of the greatest comic book stories of all time. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this. If you want to listen to our show, The Comics Files Proper, where we do talk about comics, but also film news and uh, reviews and interviews with creators, all that kind of stuff, definitely make sure to check out our our regular show. Um, uh, We enjoy doing it. Hopefully you guys will enjoy listening to it if you haven't. If you have heard it, thanks for being a listener. And thanks for listening to this episode of The Comics Files Book Club. We'll be back in the future. We've got uh, Web of Spider-Man coming up i believe after this one um gonna be a a a book about mysterio spider-man versus mysterio uh in celebration of spider-man far from home which is due out in july so uh with that we're the comics pal signing off take care guys sean would you rather gene be with scott or wolverine i'd rather she be with me (laughs) bye everyone